0: Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us for the Make Magazine preview of Robogames. Robogames is the world's largest robot competition with over 54 different events, everything from tiny little Rubik's Cube-sized sumo robots that act autonomously to humanoids that play soccer. But the big thing is always the 250-pound robots in our 40-foot-by-40-foot 130,000 pound arena. And that's where all the excitement is.
1: That's David Calkins. David is the organizer of RoboGames. Did you give us the date and location?
0: The date is Thursday through Sunday, April 6th through 9th at the Alameda County Fairgrounds in sunny Pleasanton. It is definitely bartable. If you're flying in, you want to fly into Oakland, it's about 40-minute drive from Oakland. We're open from 12 to 9 every day. Um, The fights are generally 1 to 8 every day. So we give the audience a chance to come in, get seated, just like a baseball game. Get your hot dogs, get your good seat, and then at 1 o'clock the fights start. And actually on Thursday, the mayor of Pleasanton will be opening the ceremony along with the local Girl Scout troop who will be doing the flag ceremony and singing the national anthem. We've got the greatest name in the sport, Ray Billings, here to tell us more from the contestant side than from the
1: organizer. Welcome to Ray. Ray, do you want to just say a quick hello? and Tell hey, us a hey. bit about yourself and where you are.
2: Sure. Sounds good. I'm Ray Billings. I'm a former champion at many of Dave's events, a former BattleBots champion at some of the other events. So I've been a comp- Competitor in this sport for 22 years now. Wow! So it's it's been a huge part of my life at this point in time. It's been a great, wonderful father-son connection between me and Justin, who will also be at the event. Yeah, we have a real good time with this. It's just an unbelievable way to spend your time is to to
1: compete at these things. How old was Justin when he first competed?
2: He first started at 13, so he was a teenager. Teenage boys are always a handful, so it was a great way to to keep him focused on things. So now he's a man at 35 on his own, married, whatnot. It's great that we still have this sport that we both love that we can do together so we can keep that wonderful father-son connection going through the year.
1: So Dave, RoboGames is back. Yes. When was um, it last?
0: Uh, it was last held in 2018. But your other guest star, Ray Billings, had done so much damage to the arena, it was quite literally no longer usable. So I spent this summer at a really hot warehouse in Sacramento spending $230,000 to replace the arena floor so that it is safe for the contestants as well as safe for the audience and easy to put together because Ray popped at least four different floor modules rendering them all the heck in ways that most people would not believe was possible. I didn't do
2: any of that. It wasn't me.
1: (laughs) I have video. I have the video. Dave, when did RoboGames actually start? So RoboGames started
0: in, the concept came in 2003 and we did our first small event, which we didn't call RoboGames. Then in 2004, we started it on a much larger level. Started as Robo Olympics because it's the Olympics of robots. There's many different robot competitions around the world, as most people know, but there's very little cross-pollination. For example, if you build sumo robots, you're really good at sensors, but not so good at say uh, the mechanical engineering aspects of it. The robot combat guys are brilliant mechanical engineers, but they rarely use autonomy or sensors. The humanoid guys have insane levels of patient and programming skills to make a humanoid walk. In all of my years of going to all of these competitions, I noticed that they were very, for lack of a better term, secular, that the humanoid guys never went to or saw the combat guys and the sumo guys, never went to see anybody but the sumo guys and so on and so forth. And so RoboGames was founded as a nonprofit in order to bring roboticists of all ages, genders, and citizenship Together under one place, we fly all the flags of the countries competing. We've got 22 countries competing this year. Just like the Olympics, if you win, and it doesn't matter if you entered a $100 sumo robot or a $20,000 combat robot, you still get the same gold, silver, and bronze medal, just like you would at the Olympics.
1: We intersected because you set up RoboGames at Baker Faire first couple of years. Yep. I always remember it was that arena took an awful long time to put together, Oh, my God. So have you solved for that?
0: (laughs) No, I solved for that. And then I bought another trailer because of the weight that we added in refurbishing the floor. For those of you who know anything about trucking, your trailer limits are either 40 or 44,000 pounds, depending on axle spread. The arena went from about... 85,000 pounds to about 130,000 pounds because we refloored it with really thick AR400, which is one of the strongest, most impenetrable steels you can buy. So hopefully Ray won't put any more holes in our robots.
2: Okay, put money on it? (laughs) No. It doesn't take me anywhere near as long to tear it apart as it does for him to put it together. (laughs) Fair, Fair
1: comment. Ray, tell me a bit about your background. What kind of skills did you start with? And getting into are you an engineer did you have some skills to start with Uh, this or did you pick it all up
2: a lot of combat specifically is mechanical skills it's not necessarily programming or the computer skills it's mostly hands-on mechanical stuff at one point in time i worked for a company that dug water wells okay and the well drilling industry is unique. When something breaks, you can't go down to Grand Auto and buy a part. A lot of that stuff isn't even made anymore. So you have to manufacture the parts as you go. So you pick up these wonderful fabrication skills because you have no choice. If you're going to do the job, you have to do that. So I credit a lot of my just general repairability and engineering ability to working in that not much more than minimum wage job working at a water well drilling company. From there, I went to work for the California Department of Corrections. I was a correctional officer at Folsom Prison for 12 years. There's no other way to put it simply. I got a combat mindset, okay? I got the idea of the things you have to do to be successful in combat. After I retired from there, I worked for a while at Intel Corporation in Folsom, so I had this fabrication and background and this law enforcement. And then from there, computer stuff. It all just added up to the pieces I need to do combat robotics.
1: And did you start on big robots or did you start on small ones?
2: I was an idiot and I started out with a pretty good robot. robot. Okay? <laughs> so the absolute best way to do this is to start with the smaller classes and work your way up.
1: But um, I found few people that take that advice.
2: <laughs> correct. <Okay. laughs> no a, a, one and, does. You're exactly yeah. right. And to be fair, when I started, we didn't have the small weight categories. Okay, at that point in time, we didn't have opportunities like people do to go to robot games. We had just a few events. My first event was a BattleBots event, and you had the weight categories that they ran. That was all you had. So my first robot was 120-pound middleweight. And I'm telling anybody that's listening, that's the wrong place to start. Go find an event that runs Answer Beatles. That's one in three pounds. Start there. If you want to build a combat robot, hallelujah, build it. Have a good time. It's a great sport. Get into it. Start small. It's the easiest way to do it. It's the least expensive way to do it. And you'll learn virtually all the same skills.
1: How did you do with that first robot? Did
2: fairly well. So Mm -hmm. events that day were single elimination. So one loss and you were out. And so the first two years, the robot went three and one. Enough to keep us going and keep it fun. And
1: to get better at it, how much of it was what you might call the piloting skills or the driving (laughs) skills and how much of it was the physical mechanical robot?
2: Yes, it's clearly both. You need to have a lot of time with the stick in your hands, you need practice, you need to get better at driving what you're doing. And you'll see some guys that are really good at driving their robots and they've had years in RC racing before they moved to combat robots. So the time with the control in your hand certainly plays into it. but. To really build a good combat robot, you got to build a bunch of them that suck first. <laughs>
1: yeah. okay?
2: So that you gotta take it, it's, you gotta so I
1: call it the garage band theory. I, I, you have to be willing point, to play really it, bad music for a while. This is how it works. Good.
2: You show up with a robot, you compete with it, and you say, okay, these things did well, these things did poorly. How do we fix those the things that did poorly? A key piece to this is that post-mortem after the event where you sit down and you just look at, okay. I like what we did here. I don't like what we did here. How do we fix this for next time? There's no replacement for experience there. You just got to go and take your lumps and start getting better over time.
1: I would imagine one of the things that's great about being at an event like this is there's a lot of other people at different skill levels and they're all learning from each other.
2: You'll learn more in a weekend at RoboGames than you will in six months in the classroom. Absolutely. And you can somewhat rely on the bumps and bruises that other people have learned so you don't have to repeat those mistakes. It's a great learning experience to go to an event, any event, anywhere. You're going to come away with new ideas.
0: My big point of pride is the number of kids that have walked into the building under 18. They haven't graduated high school. And RoboGames, according to them, not according to me, has changed their life completely. There's a guy, Zach Lytle, who was about to drop out of school on our very first show in 2004, walked in, had no idea what he wanted to do for a living, said, oh, this is what I want to do for a living. Since then, he's had a very successful business called Bot Bash, which is small one pound robots in about a six by six cage that he takes around to corporate parties and birthday parties and just general parties. He's made a great living at it just doing robot combats. I was talking to, I can't name his name, but one of our oldest contestants who also swears that RoboGames changed his life. He just got $5 million of VC funding for a robot company. There are other guys who have made fortunes off of RoboGames just building parts like we've standardized the on-off switches and there's very few companies that can make them to our safety requirements. And it really has been wonderful in terms of the number of friendships and businesses that have been made, just the humanoids. There's this guy, Michael Overstreet, who I think you've worked with before in some of the various maker fairs. And Michael has completely organized all of the humanoid stuff. There's 11 different humanoid events, but he just went out there and has met everybody in the last 15 years. So I didn't do any recruiting for this year's RoboGames. Michael Overstreet just called everybody up. And now we have 40 humanoids. We've got them from Hong Kong, from all over the US. all of the major Japanese players are coming in terms of robot sports. These are the big stars of the sport, just the way you have say Barry Bonds is a name within baseball and Omada-san is a name in humanoid robotics. And so they're all thrilled to be coming out and competing at all
1: those humanoid events. Do you have women participating or young girls?
0: Absolutely. Actually, a lot. I think- We have a lot. I do not track in the database your gender. I'm not going to put that in there. We do keep track of birthdays, but I'm going to say it's about a 40-60 split.
2: Okay, that's good. That would probably be correct because it's about 50-50 on my team alone. So that's probably legit.
0: Every time I get an email throughout the year, of which I get thousands, a lot of it is just me saying you can do this. If you put your mind to this and yes. you put in the work ethic, it has no bearing on your experience. It has no bearing on your life goals, your age, your gender, or what country you come from. It is strictly a matter of, I want to build this thing, whether it's a 220 pound combat robot, or one of my favorite robots was a kid who programmed two robot arms to play the piano. And he had a bog standard electronic keyboard sitting there with two electric arms that would actually play the piano and he could change the things. And that came about because I was at a robot event in Mexico. I've been very fortunate in going to almost every robot event on the planet. And there was this one kid who was working on those hands. And he said, what do I do? What do I do? And I simply said, just stick to it, register for robo games because then you have a deadline. And the biggest problem with anybody building anything is a deadline. I'd love to organize my garage as an example, but I don't have a deadline. So it's still an overstuffed warehouse of empty boxes. Yeah. But those deadlines get people to finish. The kid who made the piano playing robot won gold medal for Mexico. He cried. When he showed me and he said thank you if it weren't for this deadline i never would have finished that robot that's great
1: so has the state of the art changed a lot over the years are the robots better
2: some of the parts that are available are different and so the quality of the robots has gone up just because the parts that you can get have changed so when we all first started this we didn't have lithium polymer batteries everywhere And now everybody's running on lithium polymer batteries. There's so much more power dense. A lot of it is just the equipment that's available for us as builders to.
1: Stock car racing in a bit. It's still a stock car. still a stock car. Yeah.
0: But battery technology from the cell phone and PC industry has radically changed the robot industry. When we first started in 2003, 2004, Almost all of the robots were powered by motorcycle batteries, huge lead-acid batteries with maybe two amp hours that weighed like 20 pounds. Now you can get lithium packs that weigh a pound and give you 20 amp hours. So it's utterly revolutionized how long your robot can work and how powerful it is. And I think that's the biggest change. With the humanoids, people are just getting better at programming them so that they're far more realistic. What
1: does the humanoid competition look like?
0: Of 11 different humanoid competitions, Kung Fu is the big one, which is broken up into weight classes just like combat robots. So you have your lightweight humanoids, your middleweight humanoids, and your heavyweight humanoids, which is basically broken down to two, six, and 10 kilogram points. And then we have a giant, basically boxing or mixed martial arts arena with ropes around it and everything. And you put the two androids in there and you try and knock the other android off, which is a lot harder than you'd think. We also have basketball. We have soccer. We have what's called the freestyle event, which is like gymnastics. The rules are just very open. You have an eight foot by eight foot space and show us your best stuff. Show us your best dance, your cartwheeling, your back flipping, whatever you might think to do.
1: Ray, tell us, you mentioned to me you're going for two big robots.
2: Sure. (laughs) For Dave's event, the robot would be last right. It's a large horizontal spinner. In fact, all of his complaining about the damage I've done to his arena, virtually all of it came from that robot. So it's a horizontal, it's it's known as an offset horizontal. So there's a drive wheels, and then the weapon is offset in front, which gives you the ability to direct where your attacks come from. The other one would be Tombstone, which was the one that was on the BattleBots television show, which is just a scaled-up version of Last Right. so it's 250 pounds. of so those robots in their respective competitions have won championships.
1: I don't know if it's right to say it this way, but there's an offensive approach to this sport, and there's a kind of a defensive approach to this sport. Absolutely,
2: yeah. and... There are no wrong answers. There's different answers. There's no wrong answers. So it's what do you decide you want to do with your robot? That's the right answer. Go for it. So some guys are very much about defense. They want to be able to absorb impacts, and they want to control. Original Sin is the winningest heavyweight at RoboGames events, and he hasn't had a weapon. He's just got a big wedge up front, but it's very fast, and it's very controlling. He gets under you and pushes you around. So that's his thought process, is that's how he wants to run it. I have no defense at all. So people say, how thick is your armor? Uh, Armor. It's paper thin. There's no armor on the robot. It's just covers to keep dust out. I'm unapologetically just a weapon. That's the only thing I'm showing up with. And there's just enough drivetrain to push that weapon around to hit the other guy. I've had success. Gary's had success. Both of those are valid options and how you want to play the game. The
0: most important thing when you're building a robot is paying attention to detail and testing because Ray pretty much perfected the horizontal spinning bar. Every robot combat event you go to you'll see a whole bunch of Ray clones, but they're really cargo cult robots that they see Ray and they're like, okay, I'm going to put a spinning bar and a chain and a couple of batteries and stuff like that. And they break. I remember one event, this giant spinning bar, which had to have weighed 75, a hundred pounds was attached to the robot with a cotter pin, no bigger than my pinky. I asked the guys, I'm like, have you, Spun this up at all? Do you know what's going to happen? And they're like, no, it's too dangerous. We can't spin it up. I'm like, okay. As soon as they spun it up, that cotter pin went flying and the bar went flying off the robot and it was dead. So all builders, if you're modeling your robot after someone famous or someone successful, remember, it's not just about the looks. It's about the engineering. It's about how often you're willing to keep going back to events and revising a robot. Ray is the best example of this. Basically, for 20 years, he's fought essentially the same robot. He's sized them up and stuff, but he keeps reusing the lessons that he's learned, like clutching the weapon for major hit and what chains to use. And there are other contestants who will fight a robot one year, not do well, and then they'll throw the whole design out and bring in an entirely new design, which does just as poorly. So, you just have to be very careful if you're copying somebody's robot to know that number one, you're probably not going to do as well. And number two, don't throw away your good hard work. Improvise it. It's just like Microsoft pushing out code up- updates to Windows or stuff like that. Your bar fell off because it wasn't secured tightly enough. Find a better way to secure it. And the pits are the best way to do that. The pits are where all the contestants are located and just wander around. And people like Ray are ex- ordinarily nice and happy to tell you, well, you, you want to use this particular piece for the clutch and, and this particular grade of steel for the sprockets and so on and so forth.
2: Almost everybody there is an open book. Literally, you go ask questions and yeah. they will help you. There isn't anybody that's like that secret knowledge. I'm not going to share that with you. That's just that's not how the people in this sport play.
1: I hear that another skill set that's really valuable is to be able to repair your robot in the competition from match to match (laughs) because things break
2: it's huge events at the beginning of the event you've got a lot of robots you've got quite a bit of time between your first match and your next one because there's a lot of other robots to fight as the tree narrows down towards the championship that time shrinks between fights and you get to the point at the end where you have like virtually no time at all and if you win the match but the robot is destroyed in the match, it doesn't matter. The next match still has to happen. you got to fix it. you got to fix it fast. So the ability to have a team capable of keeping up with that, have enough spare parts to get to the end of the tournament, and to think on the fly. A lot of times it's, okay, I could do this right this way, and that's going to take me four hours, but I can do it crappy right now in 15 minutes, and I can get back in the arena whatever it takes to get that robot back in the arena that's what you have to do right. whatever it is and getting
1: back in the arena this is the whole point of uh, bringing back robo games you must have had a gap because of covid in going to events are you really excited to be able to get back at it so
2: robo games is just special in that regard it's not just hey let's go to an event sort of thing it's the court of the cornerstone for a lot of the teams that you know of today They wouldn't be there if they didn't have RoboGames to go to and work on and whatnot. It's one of the most favorite events I've ever gone to. So, of course, it was just excited as could be when we found out it was going to be coming back.
1: David, what hurdles did you have to overcome to bring it back? Did you have to decide you wanted to do it? This (laughs) is a true story.
2: At
0: the end of 2018, even before COVID, the arena was so badly damaged that it needed significant repairs. And so basically, I retired from the sport because I'm a working stiff. I'm not a multimillionaire who can just fund this as a hobby. And that's also true of most of the contestants. Is they're not multimillionaires. They're just people who want to build cool robots, and that's their vacation. Their vacations to come to RoboGames. So in 2018, I'm like, okay, it's going to cost me at least a quarter of a million dollars, if not a half a million, to rebuild the arena. And a contestant kept calling me and. I knew him. He dresses in jeans and a t-shirt and has absolutely no ego. But he comes every year He kept calling me and saying, when are you going to bring RoboGames back? When are you going to bring RoboGames back? I'm like, well, it's just that the arena's dead and I have to refurbish it. And not only refurbish it, but hire people and all that other stuff. He's like, well, what's it going to take? And I'm like, at least a million dollars for being us able to survive for the next two or three years. And he wrote me a check. And I was like, wait, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to go. A million dollars, that's crazy. It was $238,000 almost exactly to just redo the arena floor. It was another 50 grand to get new polycarbonate so it's nice and clear and shiny for the people to see. It's a very expensive sport. If it weren't for this anonymous donor who is a centimillionaire giving me the money, there's no way RoboGames could come back. But we are now, and always have been, a nonprofit. Mostly that means... I do these shows for free because there's never enough money <laughs> over at the end of the event to pay me. But this particular individual just said, I believe in you, Dave. I've been to almost every one of your events from 2004 to 2008 Teen I had a blast and I want to bring it back. And he made good on his promise. Uh, and he's a great guy and he must remain anonymous.
1: The teams and the participants, they've come back as well. Oh
2: yes. In general, I can tell you that the contestants were very happy to hear that. that yeah, is back.
0: I got so many. So we've got contestants right now from Brazil, Canada, mainland China, Ecuador, Germany, Hong Kong, India, Iran, Japan, Kyrgyzstan, Mexico, Nepal, Saudi Arabia, the United Kingdom, Ukraine and the US of A. That's great. David, where do they go to get tickets? Go what to get stuff? tickets at robogames.net. Um, they're only 45 bucks. If you use the Maker Faire discount code, which is MAKER, you save five bucks off every ticket. It's Thursday through Sunday, April 6th through 9th. Obviously, if you are got a day job and you can't make Thursday and Friday, that's okay, because you're still going to see all of the great fights and stuff on Saturday and Sunday.
1: That's great. Okay, David, thank you. Ray, thanks for telling us. Thanks for having us. I look forward to seeing you at the event. MakeCast is brought to you by the members of Make Community, who support makers in their community and around the world. To learn more about membership, visit make.co.